Welcome to Midwretched. Welcome back, my dear friends. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are coming at you hot from we are. the summertime. Yes, we are. And we're coming at you fast because we didn't skip a week this time like we usually do lately. Yeah. So you got us two weeks in a row. Yeah. It's almost like the old time. Double time. Double time. Because we didn't want to leave you uh, too long with a two-parter like looming that you didn't have a solution to. Yeah, that's to. not fair. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's not really fair. Not fair. So here we are. Here uh, we are. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Uh-oh. Oh, dear. What happened? What happened? I spilled my beer on my brand new desk. Oh. Yeah. What's your beer today? Um, you know what? I am trying the uh Saugatuck Neapolitan Milk Stout again. Really? Um, you know, it's still I feel like this is just a bad batch because it still tastes a little robotussiny. It's interesting that you're still in your trial phase. I feel like if it still tastes weird, then maybe let it well, go. Well, I bought a six pack. Oh, well, I bought a okay. Six pack. Yeah. <laughs> Just like that beer is not a Robitussin-y beer at all. So I think you just got a bad batch. I feel like I Sagatuck, send me a fresh batch because like this is literally the first time you've ever done me dirty. Yeah, and that beer is like absolutely used- phenomenal. I was really excited for it's it. So good. You got a bad batch. Like mm-hmm. it should taste like drinking ice cream. Yeah, no, it does not. Mm-hmm. It does not taste like drinking Robitussin. <laughs> and yet, you keep going. <laughs> and yet, here I am. Indeed. Here I And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. To take our spoonful of medicine as we talk about oh my God. these two murder cases and talk about missing white woman syndrome. Yes. Yes. Uh, and we're going to talk about theories first and then i think we will do some discussion so um are you ready to get started i pat myself on the back for that segue first oh it was it was yeah. absolutely wonderful congratulations you. you did beautifully absolutely beautifully all right now let's do this okay so um all right just make sure i got my little duckies in a row should we do a quick refresher? Yes, the cases? absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That is very, very important. So uh, we are talking about two cases of missing women in Bloomington, Indiana. One uh, who did turn up uh, her body was found a few days after her disappearance. And the other one is still disappeared and still a mystery. So uh, we started off last week talking about the case of Crystal Grubb, uh, who, to recap that, was a 29-year-old mom of two who uh, went missing after accompanying her boyfriend and two of his friends to a meth cook uh, in the woods um, in September of 2010. Uh, Her body was found uh, about 10 days later in a cornfield not far away from the last place that she was seen. Uh, No arrest has ever been made in her case, uh, and the details of what happened to her are still largely unknown. Uh, Lauren Spearer, on the other hand, was an IU student at IU in Bloomington. So very much kind of the other side of the track, so to speak. So Lauren Spearer was a 20-year-old college sophomore who had just finished uh, the end of the year in June 2011. And after a night of kind of partying and hopping from apartments uh, one to the next with various gentlemen, she disappeared and was never seen again. Her body has never been found. 
She is presumed dead, but the body has never actually been found. So we started last week talking about Crystal Grubb. Uh, I'm going to start this week with Lauren Spear and some theories in her case. So uh, just to recap that with a little bit more detail. So Lauren Spear uh, heads out of her apartment at 1230 uh, with this guy, David, to a party at Jay Rosenbaum's house. At Jay Rosenbaum's apartment, she meets up with this guy, Corey Rossman, and she ends up spending the night with Corey Rossman. First, they go to a bar, then they attempt to go back to her place where he gets into an altercation with one of her boyfriend's friends. So then they head back to his place and his roommate is like, um, this girl needs to go somewhere and sleep it off. We can have her sleep it off here. here. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, go somewhere else. And Lauren insisted she wanted to keep partying according to their account. So they called the original friend back over Jay to hopefully convince her either to sleep it off there or to walk her home and get her, you know, home safe and sound in her own apartment. Uh, and she was last seen by Jay as he watched her walk in the general direction of her apartment at 4.30 a.m. That was okay. the last time she was ever seen. Yeah. And there was a lot of back and forth between all of that of, like, different people's apartments mm-hmm. and just a lot of craziness. Yes, yes. And so when you hear all that craziness about these, like, different locations and things like that, the thing to really keep in mind is that all those locations were really, really, really close together. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing was more than an eight minute walk. If you do like the how long does it take to walk here on Google Maps. So <laughs> even if we round that up to nothing being more than a 10 minute walk, it was an inconsequential amount of land area that was covered. And also basically almost entirely surveilled by you know surveillance cameras in these apartment yeah. complexes on businesses on the street. Um, but after 4.30, that was it. She was never seen again. But all of her other comings and goings that night up until that point had been caught on surveillance cameras. Only one image has ever been released to the public, an image that most clearly shows what she looked like that night. Mm-hmm. But the police have the other images. They're just not respectful to share with the public. Fair. So there are five kind of prevailing theories that make a degree of sense and the disappearance of Lauren Spear. So I want to go through those theories, kind of why they make sense. And I want to see what you think. And I kind of want to, sh- mm-hmm. obviously, I'll share what I think. Your thoughts. Yes. Because yeah. I'm sure there's also a million theories of people that don't make sense. Yes, yes. I'm going to give the five that oh, do sorry. make sense. Okay. Okay. So the first theory is uh, that she is the most, inspi- well, They're all terrible, so I'm not going to say it's the most insidious theory. The theory that you'll hear probably the most frequently is that, obviously, somewhere in the evening with these boys, particularly Corey Rossman, that they murdered her or he murdered her. And either the other young men involved who had seen her that night know about it and are involved in an active cover-up about it, or Corey Rossman somehow snuck back out in the evening or... Jay Rosenbaum is lying about seeing her leave at 4.30. So that theory, it makes sense, right? These are the people last seen with her. You know, very, very often the last people seen with a victim are the ones responsible for their disappearance, right? It's pretty straightforward and it kind of, 
the pieces can fit together to make sense, but do we know enough about him to say that he would do something like that? Right. And it also relies on every single person being an unreliable narrator, right? Yeah. What does kind of substantiate this theory for some people, we talked about this last week a bit, is how quickly all of the young men involved uh, lawyered up. And we talked about that as, um, you know, if you are tangential to a case at all, it's wise to lawyer up if you have the means to do so, right? Yeah, definitely. But some people see that as suspicious. They say, well, if you don't have anything to hide, why are you lawyering up, right? Yeah. But like I said, if anything ever happens, like, and I'm questioned about something, I'm lawyering up. Yeah. And it's what any person with any legal sense would tell you to do exactly exactly uh and that that would be the advice that you would hear from lawyers uh no matter what your involvement is if you are being questioned by police in any way shape or form and you have the means to lawyer up you will always be given the advice to lawyer up just because people say Mm -hmm. stupid shit um and you know there's a million ways that things that you say can get skewed but you also just want things to be on the record in as clear a way as possible. And it is, very, we've talked about like false um, confessions and things like that on here before. And it happens as much as we all would love to say, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. It happens. Fabrication of details happens without us even knowing that we're doing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, people are inherently not most reliable, right? We all misremember. We all, you know, like I, I would like to think that I could tell you everything about what I did last Tuesday but if I you're going to unconsciously fill in the gap yeah exactly like oh well I probably went to target it was probably about 2 30 because that would have been after I give the afternoon medication to my baby or whatever but I could very well be wrong right um, and then if you can't find my target receipt now you've got an unsubstantiated amount of time that I said I was doing one thing that I clearly was not doing right yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, well, here, why would you lie about this? Now you'll clearly lie about all of these other things. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that kind of keeps this theory in the forefront is the fact that this is the theory that it seems, based on their comments to the public, that Lauren's parents are most convinced by. So okay. uh, Lauren's parents have very publicly criticized all of the young men that Lauren was with that night. On one hand, very simply for just not protecting her. Okay. And not. That's valid. Yeah, it's certainly a valid concern, I think. But also they've criticized them for not speaking to the the Spears, for not speaking to her parents, which I think is a really interesting critique. What do you think about mm-hmm. that? I am willing to bet that their lawyers all told them not to speak to the Spears. Exactly. I think so, too. I think so, too. And that's it. Honestly, 100%, I think that's it. I don't know these boys. I, I I don't know them from any fucking person on the street. Right. So I can't speak to their character other than what we've talked about happened that night. Mm-hmm. But I can say a good lawyer is going to tell you, you can't talk to the family. Right. And some of the boys might have wanted to, and they might want to say, like, I'm so sorry about what happened, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I also know that... And again, this is not a dig at the family, at the Spears family. Like, I really think that anything that the boys would have done, they would have kind of taken offense to because that's a trauma response, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, why are you doing this? That That's an anger response. That's a trauma, a grief response. Yeah, it is. It really is. 
And, you know, I think there is there is a line there where, you know, if, if your kid, your daughter is uh, mm-hmm. inebri- inebriated to the point of needing to be carried by another person to make it from point A to yeah. point B, you have a valid reason to be upset at those people for not forcing her into sleeping it off or drinking a pot of coffee or whatever. Right. Or just, Yeah. Yeah. You have a right to be mad about that. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, I don't believe that those young guys could have controlled Lauren if they wanted to necessarily. Like, you can't force a person to, you know, be done with their night if they're not ready to be done with their night. If that's what happened. Yeah. I'm not saying it is, but. Any more than what, because you had mentioned they did try to get her to stay. They tried to get her to lay down. Some of them, and I won't say all of them, but some of them at least tried. Yeah, Mike Beth uh, was the one that certainly tried the hardest. He was Corey Rossman's roommate. So if you remember, kind of at the mm-hmm. the very end of the night, after yeah. they had tried to go to Lauren's apartment, they went back to Corey and Mike's apartment. Corey threw up in the stairwell, and uh, Mike was able to get him to go to bed, according to Mike's account. And mm-hmm. Mike had tried to get Lauren to sleep on their couch, and she wouldn't do it. So, like, what's Mike to do at that point, right? Like, strap her down and make her sleep? You can't do that, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I, I get the family's upset and I get their anger. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you if it's misdirected because, again, I don't know these boys. Yeah. But. Uh, one of the other big points of criticism that has been given towards uh, these young men, particularly Corey, is that uh, he has refused to take a police polygraph. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that is that all of the boys involved, I should stop calling them boys, but when I see their faces and they're such college students, it just makes me want to call them boys. I recognize that that is not uh, totally a professional, but um, it's hard to not look at like an 18 to 21 year old. Yeah, it really is. So all of the young men took polygraph tests uh, administered by lawyers or administered via their lawyers, I should say, uh, with polygraph experts. So typically speaking, my understanding is that when lawyers are able to arrange for polygraphers to come in and administer a polygraph test, you're basically getting the gold standard of polygrapher. Uh, Generally speaking, these people are not volunteers. They are um, usually like former police polygraphers or former FBI polygraphers that come in and do uh, private polygraph testing. So uh, the assumption is if you pass the private polygraph, that is the gold standard as far as polygraph testing goes. My as understanding. Far as polygraph testing. Right, goes. right. Which is a, in and of itself its own little quagmire. But within that yeah. realm, um, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, is what I've heard lawyers say. Okay, okay. But that is not um, what the Spear family believes. They say that um, this is a direct quote from Robert Spear, Lauren's dad. She told Katie Couric, despite their claims of doing whatever they could do, the matter of the or the fact of the matter is they refuse to meet with us. They refuse to take a police polygraph, which we feel is important for a number of reasons. What he's leaving out there is that they were polygraphed, though. I can see, though, because it, it, it gets in the same thing with like a forensic psychologist, right? Mm. Of like, you are the one paying this person. It does open the door for bias. Mm-hmm. Even if you are trained against any bias, blah, 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 it opens the door. If you are the put- person putting the cash in this private polygrapher's pocket, mm-hmm. that they might have a bias. Right. 
And as we know, like the lie detector is the person reading the polygraph, not the polygraph itself. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's an interesting and understandable concern that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their belief is pretty much that one of the boys, likely Corey, carried out an act of violence against Warren uh, and that the other guys knowing about it are involved in a, a pact of silence basically. And so the hope is that some, at some point one of them will have a guilty conscience and crack. That's a lot of pact and trust bet- to put between like three college boys. Yeah. Yeah. It okay. Uh, relatedly, there is uh, another theory that takes the, the bad intent kind of scale down a bit. Uh, you remember that uh, Lauren had long QT syndrome. Yes. So another theory is that, and we, it has been stated on the record that according to some witnesses that Lauren had taken cocaine that night and snorted clonopin as well and had been Thanks. drinking very heavily. So the theory is that all of that probably caused an overdose or an agitation of her long QT syndrome and that she died accidentally that night. I mean, that's a lot to do to your CNS when you already have an abnormal heart rhythm. She means central nervous system. So. (laughs) But it is. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, So the, the theory there is that she died accidentally with one or all of those guys Mm-hmm. And that they all worked together to perhaps hide her body. The popular thread with this theory is that there was witnesses the next day that said they saw a young man carrying garbage bags out at 4.30 or 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, and there was some surveillance footage that saw a white truck leaving the apartment complex at about that time. The white truck was followed up on and did not yield anything. But the and the guys on the uh, were not able to be identified, the ones carrying out the trash. Right. So we don't know that those were those boys at all. But if they were those guys, then they're taking garbage cans or garbage bags out at the wee hours of the morning, conceivably driving them to something like the Ohio River and disposing of a body that way. Because they're scared and then involved in that same uh, pact of silence. But that would assume that they, like, then put her body in the trash bags, meaning that they would have probably had to cut up her body. Yeah. Well, she's 94 pounds. So yeah, a, a large, but, like, not to be really gross about it, but, like, she, she okay, could fit okay. in the garbage can in my kitchen, certainly. You know, 4 okay, foot 11, okay. 94 pounds. She could fit in the big garbage bags that we use in our kitchen. Okay. I just feel like... Uh, that takes a lot of emotional distancing. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they would have had to, to chop her up to do that, but I certainly think it would take more fortitude than uh, three terrified 22 year old men would probably yeah. have in that situation. Yeah. It would yeah. also be a lot of sobering up to do for Corey in the space of going to bed somewhere around three 30 in the morning to then be sober yeah. enough to facilitate Disposing a body at five thirty or six o'clock a.m. I don't. I don't know if I can totally buy into that one. Okay. We'll put that one on the shelf then. 
Okay. I certainly do. We know anything about the history of these boys? Like, do they have, do any of them have any history of violence? Do any of them have any unremarkable in all ways? Um, to be okay. honest, um, pretty honestly, pretty typical IU students, like uh, upper middle class to upper class kids, high levels of academic achievement. They're all now professionally successful. Uh, in the, okay. you know, kind of 10 years since this happened. So, yeah, nothing, no histories of violence, no histories of uh, anything kind of. Okay. Yeah. I, again, not that history is everything, but if we're like kind of stacking our blocks of evidence and our blocks of like suspicion, mm-hmm. there's that block tower is pretty short. Yeah. And I think our the point, you know, the point we were circling around too is like the blocks of fortitude, right? Like mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. I think it takes, it could take some kind of a past to, you know, witness somebody dying and not have your first thought be call the police and instead, oh, we're going to get in big trouble. Let's dispose of this body. Let's put it in garbage bags and drive it to the river. Yeah. And IU isn't super close to the Ohio River. Not super duper. But, I mean, it would be be a beautiful drive. But I guess it would probably take you an hour. <laughs> I would hope they're not looking for like a scenic. <laughs> like, let's take the country back roads. This will be great. I mean, that's what I do when I drive to Ohio. Oh, yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I mean, there are other like lots of like reservoirs down there and kind of bigger lakes, but uh, no evidence of her has ever been found in, you know, any body of water nearby yeah. that was ever searched. Okay, okay. Just to, like, be able to say for sure. I want to know what that distance would be. Okay, it would take about an hour and 46 minutes to get to the river. I was going to say that's that's not a super easy drive. Like, the drive from Dayton to the Ohio River is... I, I, I'm thinking, again, putting myself in this situation, if I have a body in my car that I need to get rid of... Mm-hmm. Even like the 45 minutes from where I grew up to the Ohio River, I would be panicking. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also like possibly a little tipsy, like unless you're Mike Bath and he's the one driving. But also Indiana cops love pulling people over. They do. They do. And it would have been um, most logical route would have been like a, a state route. It actually would be Indiana 37 that Crystal Grubb was found alongside um, that you would take oh, wow. down there. Yeah. Yeah, but it wouldn't be like one of the big interstate highways either. So it'd probably be uh, an annoying drive. That's where they always get me. I know, right? On the annoying stretches of road. Anyway. Yeah. So so that's a thought. At first, I was really attracted to that theory because I thought like, well, it really does make sense that you push a vulnerable body, you know, that far that something could happen. But it's the what happens next that that's the thing like the accidental death i could totally buy into mm-hmm. it it's the idea that three 22 year olds two of whom were very inebriated mm-hmm. would be able to kind of pull this off that's the part that i'm like eh. yeah i would buy it more if they said they didn't remember it right so this next theory i find to be interesting uh well the next three i find to be very interesting so so i feel like the first two are kind of in a category right 
And these next three are mm-hmm. in a different category. So the first of my next three theories is a stranger abduction. So okay. uh, we see somebody, you know, stumbling home down the road in the early hours of the morning. Uh, she's very small. She's very inebriated. Uh, for somebody looking to do some harm, she would be an easy target. Mm-hmm. So um, there's nothing to substantiate this theory other than the fact that we have no further surveillance of her, even though there would have been surveillance into her apartment or um, in a, a few businesses along the way, either route that she would have walked. I remember you saying like the basically the distance between where she was last caught on surveillance to like where the next surveillance camera would have caught her. A hundred feet. Is a vi- yeah, mm-hmm. very, very short distance. Yeah. So she had only a hundred feet to go missing, basically. That's terrifying. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so basically it would have to be the kind of crime of opportunity at exactly the wrong place, wrong time, if you're Lauren Spear. I'm like looking into my backyard because like my backyard is about 60 feet. Mm. Okay. The distance from my backyard to my neighbor's window, Mm -hmm. to my like back neighbor's window. Right. That's the distance. That's how long you had to disappear. Yeah. Down the most logical route. Uh, Because there were two roads that she could have taken. The most logical route would have had her in front of a camera at about 100 feet. The other one would have had her in front of a camera. They didn't have a, I couldn't find an exact number, but it wouldn't have been more than a few hundred feet. So at maximum, we're talking about maybe three of your backyards versus one and a half of your backyards, you know? That's insane. Yeah. 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 And so she disappeared in that short of an amount of space. Wow. So again, I keep looking at my window now. Yeah. Well, somebody would have had lightning would have had to strike essentially, right? For a stranger abduction to take place at exactly that spot at exactly that time. But maybe it did. Yeah. Maybe it did. So another theory that I find interesting is so you remember that part of her night involved uh, her and Corey going back to her building. And as they're approaching her apartment, three guys get out of the elevator. Uh, One of them is Zach Oaks, who is her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf's good friend. Yeah. Who sees Lauren with Corey and was like, uh, nope. So the theory then is that after the altercation with uh, between Zach and Corey and they left Lauren's building to walk back to Corey's building instead is that uh, Zach contacted Jesse Wolf in some form. I don't believe his phone has ever been subpoenaed, but perhaps he contacted Jesse Wolf and said, hey, you know, just want to let you know that Corey is with Lauren. She's wasted. He looks like he has bad intentions. And okay. that after she left the building of... Um, Corey, Jay, and Mike, that Jesse was waiting and angry. Okay. We know that she never made it back to her own apartment, so he couldn't have been waiting for her there. But Mm -hmm. Jesse Wolf was allegedly at his apartment all night, asleep after watching basketball. He's his own alibi, right? Like, he was asleep in his room. That's... And that's always like, okay, you're your own alibi, so how much do we... 
How much can we give that? Exactly. Exactly. So uh, that is, there's nothing to substantiate that theory at all. People will point to the fact that Jesse's dad flew in right away and was like, ah, let's eat your butt back to the East Coast. Uh, and he was gone very, very, very quickly back home. But again, if you're a parent, I can absolutely understand getting your kid away from that situation as much as possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a it's a thought. A lot of these theories are just super speculative. And I think that's what's so frustrating about this case. Yeah, exactly. It's all speculative. It's all speculative. And Jesse was one of the ones that very, very publicly refused to take a police polygraph administered by Bloomington PD, but did take and passed a polygraph arranged by their own legal team. Okay. Yeah. The other thing Mm. that does make this theory kind of interesting to me is that, okay, the night started off with Lauren saying, with Jesse saying, I'm not going out tonight. I want to watch basketball. And Lauren saying, oh, yeah, I guess I'll stay in as well. And then she did not stay in. Right? Yeah. So either she lied or she changed her mind. Either way, she's within her rights to do so. Right? But if you're Jesse and you're angry and upset and potentially think you're being cheated on, and then there's a lie going on there or a lack of an update, she never texts him to say, Hey, I changed my mind. I wanted to let you know I'm at Corey. I'm with Corey tonight or whatever that those contacts never happened to anyone's knowledge. So even if she never told Jesse that um, or she told Jesse that she wasn't going out that night, she never updated him that there was a change in her plans. I don't think that's crazy suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's more like it, it's a, it provides a clear motive, right? Yeah, I, if you're looking for a motive, I think that's a clear motive. Mm-hmm. But again, like, were there other issues between them? Did he have a history of violence? Was there abuse in their relationship? Yeah. And we don't, it doesn't sound like we have anything to support that. The only thing that we have that points to discord in the relationship is that Nadine Wolf, who is Jesse's mother, told various press outlets that Lauren Spear was a hardcore drug user and that she would routinely black out and that Jesse had, and a couple of times in their relationship threatened to tell Lauren's parents about her drug use and that she said that she would break up with him if he did. So there's a point of conflict going on there. Yeah. Lauren's parents for murder point of conflict, right. but so it's a thought. Yeah, it's a thought. It's a thought. It's a thought. It's a thought. Um, this last one I'm going to talk about. I walked in to this so skeptical, but I'm walking mm-hmm. out thinking, you know what? Maybe. Okay. Okay. Israel Keys. Continue. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyone who, if you're a true crime fan, I feel like by now you know Israel Keys. Mm -hmm. One of our more recent serial killers to have come out and about claims to have how many murders? Oh, what did he claim? He, let me look that up real quick because I don't want to get that wrong. Yeah. He had a lot. A lot of them have been substantiated. He had three substantiated. 
Three substantiated. Potentially 11 plus. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. And he died in prison while undergoing interrogate, like not while being interrogated, right. but while they were investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he basically like when asked about what other murders he had committed after he was, um, so basically the murder that got him caught eventually was the murder of Samantha Koenig, who he kidnapped mm-hmm. from a coffee booth in Alaska. Um he kidnapped her and put her in a fishing shed in his property, um, left town, went to New Orleans. He went on a two-week cruise. He came back to Alaska, took her body out of the shed, did her makeup, sewed her eyes open with fishing line, took a picture with an old newspaper, mm-hmm. and demanded a $30,000 ransom. Yeah. Very odd. Yeah. So we know that he committed the murder on Samantha Koenig. He had also murdered uh, an elderly couple in Vermont. And he is very much the key suspect in the murder of a man named Jimmy Tidwell, uh, who disappeared in Texas. So Mm -hmm. basically what Israel Keys did is that he was very much pretty nomadic. And he was Mm -hmm. known to bury kill kits in various places around the U.S. Mm-hmm. It sounds absurd, but some of them have actually been found. So yes. they are yes. real. The kill kits are real. Uh, and he basically kind of buried these caches of murder equipment in different places. Uh, and he was also known to, like, commit a crime and immediately kind of go across state lines, basically. Yeah, like kill and then flee. Exactly. Uh, or kidnap and flee. So... Israel Keys is kind of this like very contemporary boogeyman of a serial killer. Yeah. I think be- especially because of the brutality with which he treated Samantha Koenig's body that mm-hmm. he is kind of the closest that we would get to the kind of mythos of like a modern day Gacy or Dama type of serial killer just because it has that extra shock to it. Yeah, and I think, like, the – I'm losing words here, but, like, how methodical he was with things. I think that that kind of feeds into that allure. Yeah, yeah. Um, And also the way that he kind of, like, really flouted law enforcement. Um, Mm -hmm. I certainly – I've recommended this book to you. I will recommend it to all of our listeners as well. Maureen Callahan's American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century – I'm going to Amazon it right now. Yeah, it's a very, very good account of Israel Keys and his various activities. But what you'll glean from that book is that he was also um, very coy with police. When questioned specifically by attractive women, he would kind of uh, give a little bit more information, but in kind of a teasing, like he was clearly getting getting off on it, essentially. Um, just like yeah. being questioned by women about crimes, particularly against women. So uh, Israel Key's family lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The day that Lauren Spear went missing was a day that Israel Keys was in Indiana to see his mother oh, in wow. Fort Wayne. Yes. And Fort Wayne from Bloomington is... It's a three-hour drive, but Israel Keys is known to be... A road tripper. Mm-hmm. 
he is also somebody that rented cars because he, you know, he lived in Alaska, so he would fly places and need to rent cars, right? Yeah, yeah. So from what I understand about this particular trip, he flew into O'Hare in Chicago, rented a car and drove to Fort Wayne uh, to see his mom. Israel Keys is unaccounted for on the night of Lauren Spears' disappearance. His whereabouts are unknown for about 12 hours that night. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Don't mind me while I do my directions from O'Hare to Fort Wayne. Probably, I would say, two and a half hours would be my guess. Uh, three and a half. Three hours, 21 minutes. And then where is... And then, yeah, you add on... So the drive from, if you go O'Hare to Fort Wayne to Bloomington, that's about six hours. Well, so we know he he got to Fort Wayne. He visited for some amount of time. But Mm -hmm. specifically the night of June 2nd into June 3rd, his whereabouts were not known. We can account for his whereabouts during other times on that trip. That's the important thing, is that the rest of his trip is fairly accounted for other than that night. It is also known that he did, a, a, according to him, he buried several kill kits around the country. He would never say where they were and yeah. that he had buried several of them in 2007, which is also a time that he had been in Indiana. So it is thought that perhaps he buried a kill kit somewhere in the Bloomington area and that he would have had that available to him. Interesting. Yes. The other thing that makes this interesting to me is that um, Israel Keys is very much an opportunist, uh-huh. which with the stranger abduction theory, you would have to be for her to disappear in such a short area, right? It is exactly three hours from Bloomington to Fort. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, and if he, he was missing for somewhere between 12 and 14 hours that night, so he certainly would have had enough time to, you know, get to Bloom see her think oh okay do his thing and then get away right yeah sorry i interrupted you yeah totally an opportunist like all of his crimes all of his victims were victims of opportunity Mm -hmm. he happened to catch them yeah he was also an extremely physically overpowering person Mm -hmm. which you wouldn't have to be to be honest to to snatch somebody the size of lauren spear but Certainly, in his case, it made it very easy for him when he kidnapped um, Samantha Koenig. Like, when you see the surveillance video of him doing that, he basically, like, leaps like a freaking jungle cat into this coffee stand. Uh, It's like watching an Avengers movie, the way that this man moved. It's honestly eerie, in my view. So he moved very easily, very quickly. I think it would have been very, very easy for him to overtake Lauren in a very short amount of time. As it was for him to take Samantha Koenig. Yeah. 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 The fact that he was all about traveling also tells us why she has not yet ever been found. He conceivably could have gotten back in his car and gone pretty much anywhere. In any direction. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, his... um, The receipts from his rental car do imply that he racked up quite a bit of miles on that rental car, more than it would have taken to get to O'Hare and back twice. Yeah, because he could have even like theoretically, because he was a cross state guy, he could have even taken her body, Bloomington, 
or Fort Wayne isn't that far from either Illinois or Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Or Ohio, really, because we're talking about central Indiana. So yeah, if you want to get to Ohio, it's not that difficult either. And Fort Wayne is pretty close to Ohio if you kind of go back up the Ohio way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But from Bloomington, Illinois or Kentucky would be like your best mm-hmm. options. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he has that whole like Midwestern pocket. Yeah within two hours i would say easily yeah especially for going with um the fact the ohio river could have been in play right um or fort wayne the fucking uh lake michigan i mean it'd be out of the way yeah but it's a lot i don't think it'd be any yeah well i don't think it'd be any more out of the way than uh than the Ohio River. It wouldn't be. With Samantha Koenig, he, um, I believe that he dismembered her and she was put into a river. Okay, okay. I think that rivers are more plausible in general than the big lakes just because, like, in order to get to a spot in Lake Michigan where you could easily dump a body and not have it immediately come back to you um, would require a boat. You'd have to be able to get into a boat, get to deep enough water, and then dump yeah. somebody for them not to, you can't just put a body in like lapping waves and expect it to just like sail away right yeah you're right you're right you're right you're right, you're right. <laughs> i know my lakes i know how to use you them you know your lakes and how to dispose a body i mean i've been doing this for a while so um the other thing that i find very compelling about the israel keys theory is what he said about it so Lauren Spear disappears. Five days later, Israel Case is in Vermont killing this elderly couple, Bill and Lorraine Courier. Right. It is thought. So he killed them, burnt their house down, burnt another house down. He was going crazy that day. Mm-hmm. So the thought is maybe he was a little amped up, a little keyed up, if you will, coming off hot from killing Lauren Spear. Yeah. Um, that he was kind of riding a high. So uh, he was asked about Lawrence Beer in an interview with police. This is what he said. So they bring out a picture of Lawrence Beer and put it on the desk in front of Israel Keys. Did you do this? Bell asked. People are going to think you did this. You were in Indiana that night. Keys laughed. That's how hard it's going to be, he said, for you guys to figure it out. It's the teasing and the taunting that Mm -hmm. I think is interesting. Yeah. So when I first came to this theory, I was like, that's going to be the junk theory that I throw out there just to throw it out there. But the more that I've sat with it, the more I think it's fairly plausible. To be honest, again, if we go to our little black towers of evidence, I feel like there's more there than there is for the other theories. Yeah. I'm not saying there's enough there to make a case, but, like, we have a location there. We have dry, like, some semblance of drive records. We have a history of violence, which we don't have for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So is that kind of the theory that you're going with? I feel like it's either that or a stranger abduction. Yeah, Like I, I would need way more information about these boys than to, 
to feel like they're there's anything to stack up against them yeah you know yeah like i feel like when we did uh oh god what was the minnesota case that just recently got an arrest the one you did oh it was uh the dakotas nita knutson oh yeah sorry the dakotas anita knutson and everybody was trying to like blame the the maintenance guy Mm -hmm. and i'm like there's nothing here other than a possible opportunity an opportunity is like one small piece of a crime. Yes, yes. I'm going to throw another one out there before we move on to Crystal Grub. So okay. um, there have been other young women that have gone missing and, and have been found murdered from the Bloomington community, specifically IU. Okay. So in, I want to, I believe it's 2015. 2015, Hannah Wilson was an IU student who was kidnapped and murdered by a man named Daniel Messel. Based on a tip, Daniel Messel's property was searched in relation to Lawrence Spear as well. We know that he committed the murder of Hannah Wilson. I won't go fully into that case, but it is a closed case. We know. He has also faced rape charges for a rape against an IU student. So he had several other, well, at least a couple of violent crimes against IU students in Bloomington. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the prosecutor, the county prosecutor, has postulated that um, Daniel Messel is also responsible for Lawrence Spear. There's never been a connection, never been a sighting with them together. Daniel Messel was not known to be in downtown Bloomington that night, but he's not not known to be. Um, the similarities between Hannah and Lauren as far as like physical appearance um, obviously both being IU students I think to some is extremely compelling did he have a connection with Hannah Wilson no it was a stranger abduction in her case as well. okay yeah okay mm-hmm. okay so okay yeah okay yeah so certainly as far as MO goes there's a link there mm-hmm. Daniel Messel did have property in the area like I said that was searched at one point yeah. Charlene Spear, Lauren's mom, did also come out to say that she thought and suspected that the murders were related. Which brings up kind of an interesting thing I wanted to kind of discuss relatedly to this case. Because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. obviously the the parents have a a sphere of influence in, obviously, in the case. Obviously, Um, yeah. As they, you know, in some ways I think they should. Yeah, in some ways I think they should too. Uh, and this is in no way, shape, or form a bash on the Spear family because I think they have um, handled the daughter, their daughter's disappearance with mostly a lot of grace. But mm-hmm. I think many times, especially in the true crime community, we get a little bit caught up in what families think happened. Yeah. When yeah. the families are postulating as much as the rest of us are, but also have the emotional need to kind of put an answer to it, right? Yes, very much. We saw that with Jane Mixer's case where her her dad, you know, was so convinced it was her boyfriend. And then when John Roman Collins went down for it, theoretically, he was like, yep, I believe that. And then um, later on, when Gary Letterman went down for it, he was like, yep, that's the guy. So and none of that's a bash on him either. It's human, right, to want to see these things come to completion. 
but it doesn't mean that we should take that as anything evidentiary no like families are not investigators and they should not be and i say that knowing there are wonderful families that have done amazing work Mm -hmm. uh sarah tooney has done amazing work uh libby german's sister has done amazing work but i do think that I can't imagine how hard it is to separate your feelings as a family member and your demand for justice, your anger, your grief, and try to do anything like unbiased in terms of an investigation. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. I mean, you can't. What you can do really effectively and beautifully is raise awareness, be an advocate, Uh you know, um, I thought Noreen Gosh, right? Like she changed the face of, you know, uh, investigations of crimes against children because of her advocacy work. So Joe Walsh, problematic, oh my gosh, but yeah, still did. 100%, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So uh, I put all those theories out there. And is it fair to say that for you, Israel Keys is your, uh, is your guy? I say it's a stranger abduction or Israel Keys. Like, until I have more information about one of these boys to make me have any suspicion, then it's it's got to be a stranger or Keys. Yeah. I agree. I feel like, again, looking at my block towers, Keys has the most blocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keys is my theory as well, which I was really surprised by, to be honest. I am too. I am too, because I think that you even mentioned this. I can't remember if we did it on air last week or not. I think we did. Uh, But I was like, come on. Yeah, and I was too. I was too. Um, And then the more I looked into it, I was like, wait a minute. It felt like I was writing an episode of Dexter, but it all came together in a way that really, really made sense. And so, you know, I, I... compiled it i read my notes back to myself i took a break from it i came back it still made sense i took another break i came back it still made sense you know yeah 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 and i think that's how you got to do it yeah Yeah. and it's like it it hasn't stopped making sense and my thing with the boys is just that or the the young man the gentleman um is that do i think that there is a layer of responsibility that we have to other humans when they are in a bad state to um, do our best efforts to take care of them. Yes. Yeah. Do I believe in my heart that Corey Rossman had pure and angelic intentions for Lauren that night? Absolutely not. But given the degree of surveillance going on in those buildings, I think if they had done something, logic tells me that it would have been a lot more obvious. I don't think that they were sober enough to pull something off, like to be very blunt about it. And the only one that was, was Mike Beth, who is also the only one to have enough integrity to try to put this girl to bed. Yeah. Yeah. So those two things don't mash up with, with each other either, in my view. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. So that's Lauren Spear. All right. Yeah. Okay. And I know we don't have as much. For Crystal Grub, yeah. For Crystal. What we have with Crystal Grub is I think um, it's so tragic because unlike Lauren Spears' case, if you ask me, do I ever think that the mystery of Lauren Spears' disappearance will ever be solved? I 
am apt to kind of give a sad no. Israel Keys is dead. And he operated with such a degree of efficiency that unless we knew precisely what body of water, and I believe that's what he would have done with her, he put her in. We're not going to find her if it was Israel Keys. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. That's really, really heartbreaking. I think so too. If it was Daniel Messel, maybe there's a chance because he did have property and it was wooded. Um, but it has been searched. Yeah. And I feel like if it was one of the boys, then at some point, one of them would have turned on the other. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking it's 10 years, you know, 10 plus years now. So, you know, all of these guys are now in their, they're 30, 31, 32. They all have careers. You know, they all have lives. And I just feel like, especially Mike Bath, I think that if somebody was going to, if they were, if there was a pact of silence and somebody was going to break, it would be Mike Bath. Yeah. And he hasn't. Yeah. He hasn't. Mm-hmm. So uh, the difference with Crystal Grubb is that within 10 days, her body was found. So if we remember, Crystal Grubb had been, um, she had a fight with her boyfriend, Adrian Henley, uh, that her mom witnessed the day before she disappeared on the 18th. On the 19th of September, uh, she goes to the woods with her boyfriend, Adrian, and his two friends, Alvin Fry and John Sargent. The three men are cooking meth. To our knowledge, Crystal is just there. We don't know if she was involved in the meth cook. She was likely involved in use of meth at the time and previously, but was she involved in any cook or sale? There's nothing to substantiate that. Um, Mm -hmm. So she was with them in the woods, allegedly stomped off, got mad, and uh, walked away and was never seen again. Which, yeah, immediately suspicious, right? Yes. Ten days later, a farmer finds her while harvesting his corn uh, very, very close to where she was last seen. Jesus. Yeah, certainly walking distance. Um, I made a request for her autopsy report and uh, it was not granted. (laughs) So, uh, what coroners are legally required to produce is what we knew from newspapers anyway, which is basically dates, cause and manner of death. So the, um, manner of her death is a homicide. The cause is strangulation. That's all the Monroe County coroner would tell me. And uh, that's all you're going to get from newspapers anyway. So, um, well, fuck, we don't have enough clout yet, guys. I know, right? We need more clout. I need to be able to break into that office. I did. F- get us that clout. I did find. This was actually really neat. That Monroe County, Indiana does have in their online uh, historical library all of the autopsies conducted in the county from the mid-1800s to 1935. Oh, that's neat. Really it's publicly available? Publicly available. It's like you're searching a library. It's like you're searching for JSTOR. Fucking fascinating. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Guys, if you ever wonder why we spend so much time in Indiana, it's because we can do shit like Basically, this. yeah. There's there's no <laughs> rules here. There are no rules here. It's the fucking wild, wild west of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. It really is. So, so Crystal's case. Okay. Nowhere could I find in any official official record 
that there was DNA on her body. Now, the full coroner's report was not released. And so if there was DNA found and it was in that report, we don't know that. One newspaper article said that there was DNA. I assume that the reporter got that from a source. Um, (laughs) What that source was. Yeah. I assume they didn't make it up is what I'm saying. I assume there was a degree of journalistic integrity going on there. Well, again, Indiana. True. True. But Bloomington, there's a degree of pressure there, I think, to get things right. There are good newspapers down there. Got all those college students breathing down your neck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So whether or not there was DNA on her body, if there was, it's not enough to bring charges on anybody. Mm -hmm. So either it's not enough, as in there wasn't enough DNA or it was an incomplete profile, uh, or no match in the system. I feel like if that was the truth, we would know that, because I feel like that would be part of an investigative process. Um, What I think is substantially more likely is that there was DNA on, in, or near her body. It probably matched her boyfriend. The problem with that, especially if it's something like semen, is that you have no way to know whether or not that was part of a consensual sexual activity between two people that were previous sexual partners. Exactly. Yeah. Or exactly when mm-hmm. that was deposited. Right. Yeah. So that is my presumption. When And uh, even if there was DNA from the other man, if it was hair or something like that, um, it's very plausible if you're hanging out with somebody that your hair is on them. Yeah. For example, the other day I pulled one of my own hairs from around my baby's g2 button and i was like well okay that's one of my hairs around your g2 coolio (laughs) so what we what we can dig into a little bit is the past of these three guys so we can build some blocks potentially based on what any of these gentlemen have been up to in the past so Mm -hmm. uh they did confess to manufacturing math that day in the woods Okay. Charges for that were brought down on all three men. Got it. Okay. When you look into all three of their legal histories, they all have previous records. Adrian Henley's is probably actually, he's the boyfriend, the most chill mm-hmm. of all three, I would say. Okay. They all three of them had battery in their past. Okay. Okay. All three, which I think is potentially useful information relevant. to have. Yep, yeah. Potentially relevant. They all three have batteries. So I want to talk about Elvin Fry first. Elvin Fry has a, a fairly long record of uncool activities. Um, <laughs> the legal term. Yes. <laughs> In Indiana, that's a legal term. <laughs> uncool activities. Um, battery. Uh, disorderly conduct. Let's see. Lots of small claims stuff. Driving without a license kind of stuff. That sort of thing. All of these leading up to the time of her disappearance. I'm talking about like kind of a 10-year record on this guy before we can put him in the woods with Crystal that day. But what I thought was really interesting was what he was actually up to after. Alvin Fry is currently in prison for soliciting a minor for sex. Uh, he has two charges of that. He also has domestic battery charges. He has a domestic battery charge for committing, in the presence of a child less than 16, a strangulation. 
Oh, mm-hmm. oh dear. Okay. Yep. What we know is that in some sort of domestic altercation, he applied pressure to the throat or neck of uh, the victim in front of a child, Elvin Fry. He also, like I said, is behind bars now for solicitation of a minor. So uh, he's got some fraud charges. He's just got, he's a bad dude, right? He's a really bad dude. Um, Right after the solicitation charge, you can see his uh, divorce records when you look through the court system, which I think is like, well, good job. The former Mrs. Fry, you kick him right on out. Take him right on out, girlfriend. Yep. Good choices. Yeah. So the fact that he has uh, a strangulation on his record when we know that the cause of Crystal's death was manual strangulation, I think is very, very, very interesting. He's not the only one. John Sargent also had a battery resulting in bodily injury involving strangulation. Okay. His charge was not as a part of a domestic violence charge. We don't know who the victim in that case was, mm-hmm. but there was a case there. How old were these guys? Were they this about the same age? They were all as fairly young-ish. Um, John okay. Sargent was the youngest, I believe. He was born in 81, I want to say. Elvin Fry is about the same age. And at the time of Crystal's disappearance, Adrian Henley was 45, so he was the oldest one. Oh, okay. Damn. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he's got like 10 years on the other guys. Yeah. yeah. So really that's all we have when it comes to theories in Crystal Grubb's case. I think what happened in Crystal Grubb's case is uh, significantly more obvious. And in that way, I think you could see it as considerably more tragic. She went yeah. into the woods that day with three men, all of which had violence in their histories documented two of which have a history of strangulation against, I presume, women. And she went into the woods that day in a group of four, and three of them came out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's tragic, and that's frustrating that there is still not an arrest. There's still not justice here. Yeah. Yeah. When it feels like there's a lot you can investigate right there in front of you. Yeah, there's a lot, I think, to look at. Um, I wonder if my sense is that there's evidence. There's DNA at that scene. Like I said before, I think it's probably not DNA that you could use without some kind of uh, imaginative flight of fancy. Yeah, like they could easily make a whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's been, that's happened before, right? So I don't, I think you would have to, with a manual strangulation, there's not a weapon to tie to anybody. There's no science to like matching the size of handprints or anything like that. Her body was fairly degraded by the time it was found. So she was killed at the time of her disappearance. This all happened relatively quickly. She was, she was in that field for a, a 10 days ish. Um, so yeah. it's not as though there was time in between when it comes to a case like Lauren's, where we have the possibility of a stranger abduction, uh, that possibility is very clear because she was in a place where there would be a lot of people, right? She would have been visible mm-hmm. to people. That is not the case with Crystal Grubb. She was at a meth cook in the woods. 
You would not have been able to see her from the road. You would not have been able to see the group from the road at all. So unless uh, it's possible to insinuate that somebody else came upon them in the woods, happened to attack and kill Crystal and leave the other three alone, and none of them are saying anything about it. Yeah. It's, it's preposterous. It's preposterous. Yeah. The question is, of course, going to be which one if it was only one of them. Yes. I know to you this kind of thing is not um, a thing, but I will say that when the Southeastern Indiana ghost hunting group went to <laughs> try to communicate with her, they used a device called a ghost box. Um, so they're an EVP group, electronic voice phenomenon. They're all about trying to capture uh, spirit voices on various audio mechanisms, typically really sensitive tape recorders, essentially. Or sometimes you'll see people use a, a what they call a ghost box, which is basically like a radio um, that kind of runs on white noise. And then periodically you'll hear kind of uh, voices kind of come through. The theory is that ghosts or entities are able to manipulate the the degree of frequency coming through the radios uh, and be able to, to give words out. So when you listen to that recording and they say, you know, is this crystal? You'll hear a yes. Um, in that, and this is on YouTube, uh, in that line of questioning, uh, it is clear that when they ask who did it and they name the people that the ghost box responds when they ask if it was Elvin Fry. Mm -hmm. So I'm putting that out there. I know the best thing for you to say is no comment. Yes. No comment. But I'm putting it out there as a ghost hunter myself. Okay. I love you. <laughs> science first. Always. Yeah, science first. Pareidolia. <laughs> <laughs> Always science first. Uh, Always science first. <laughs> but that does kind of round us to our kind of like the bigger discussion here, right? Yeah. Like I mentioned last time, when you go to YouTube and you search for Crystal Grub, you got four videos that pop up and that video is one of them. When you go to YouTube and you search for Lauren Spear, you've got hundreds of hits. If you do an in quotes Google search of both names, Lauren Spear will give you 37,200 results. Crystal Grubb will give you 1,620, only if you add Indiana to it. If you take Indiana off, you get about 3,300. But there's another Crystal Grubb out there. I think she's like an accountant or something. So if you, and she's not in Indiana. So if you put Indiana in there, I think that's what's getting you actual results on Crystal Grub. So we're talking about a huge disparity in any kind of media attention or availability of information. Daily press conferences were held for Lauren Spearer's case for several months. No press conferences were ever held for Crystal Grub. Crystal's case happened first, but it didn't even get name dropped in um, the Bloomingtonian, which is IU's new student newspaper, until Lauren Spear went missing. And people started to say, wait a minute, why is this case picking up and this one's not? So in many ways, Crystal Grubb's case has only gotten a degree of media traction when mentioned in relation to Lauren Spears. Her case in isolation yields almost no information whatsoever. Yeah. So when we think about what that's about, 
you know, Lauren Spears case has been associated in, in many circles with missing white woman syndrome. Here we do have mm-hmm. two missing white women, Crystal Grubb also white. What we have is a huge difference in socioeconomic class, right? Yep. Yeah. We have drug activity in both. So it's not like you can say, you know, one was up to something wholesome and the other one wasn't. In Lauren Spears' case, it gets kind of shrugged off as like college kid stuff, right? Of course. Of course. And generous sources when it comes to, comes to Crystal will say, you know, she struggled. She came upon hard times, right? Mm-hmm. But when you put apples to apples in this one, what you really get when you look at the difference is money, availability. Yeah. The ability to kind of saliently, saliently go out and engage media like Lauren Spears' parents were able to do, right? Mm-hmm. They immediately had appearances on, you know, national television shows and news broadcasts. Uh, and Crystal Grubb's family, you know, struggled to put together $1,000 for a reward. And unfortunately, that does make so much of a difference. Yeah. You know, it's how do you get attention on this and how do you get, you know, people caring? And it's not even just about like YouTube videos or anything like that, but it's about how do you get justice? Yes. And like in Crystal's case, it feels like there very much should be pressure here because it feels so solvable. Yeah. I feel like justice is really close in Crystal's case. Or could be really yeah. close. It could be, but again, like, kind of where's the pressure to solve mm-hmm. it? And Crystal's mom, it sounds like, has done above and beyond everything that she possibly She's incredible. Can. She's really, really, really incredible. Even when she had a literal stroke, oh, I think it was two weeks before one of the marches, she was still out there. She was still out there. She was suffering from uh, hydrocephaly, and she was still out there. Wow. Yeah. yeah. She's unbelievable. Um, but when you say the word pressure, too, that makes me also think like uh, the difference between what I perceive to be the pressure laid upon the young men in Lauren's case versus the men in Crystal's case. Right. Mm-hmm. Where we have got uh, these young men in Lauren's case who were under media scrutiny as well as police scrutiny, mm-hmm. scrutiny by these families, I assume also by their peers too, you know, in the mm-hmm. IU community, I would imagine that was probably a pretty rough couple of years finishing out college there after what uh, went down. Yeah. And with all of that pressure, still no one cracked. We're not talking uh-huh. about criminal masterminds here, right? We're talking about three young men, right? Mm-hmm. So either they uh, should be criminal masterminds or they don't know anything. Yeah. Right. Maybe they are. Maybe they are just all living their lives as a criminal trio. Maybe. Now, when it comes to Crystal Grubb's case, what we don't have is access to, like, what efforts the police made to solve it um, at the time. But my sense is that three dudes that actually did something awful, who have histories of doing awful things, and who have since done awful things... (laughs) And who might be in jail for doing awful things. Of awful things. Yeah. I would imagine with a degree of pressure applied to one of all three of them, that one of them would sell out the other ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. If adequate 
smart pressure was laid. Yeah. Right? But where's the pressure? Yes. Yes. Uh, so um, I'm really riled up about this. So maybe I'm the pressure. Monroe County, I've already uh, emailed your coroner's office. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's your turn to call and email your police department. Okay. I mean, I did try because there was one detective that was cited in a couple of sources, Sarah Carr, Carnes. And I sent an email and I didn't get anything back. So, yeah. you know, so it goes. But, but yeah, where's the pressure? The pressure has been all there for Lawrence Beer's case the whole time. And I want so badly for both of these, these cases to be solved. My heart breaks for both of these women. And I think that, you know, in an ideal world, both cases would be solved. They would have been solved 10 years ago. When I look at the whole landscape here and I look at solvable, solvability, I should say, blah, 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 blah. when I look at solvability, Crystal's case has that up and down. Mm-hmm. Right? So why hasn't it happened yet? Yep. And scene. It's frustrating because it is. It's one of those like this. Unless, again, it is another. Oops. Unless it's one of those like absolutely crazy cases and all of these three guys are innocent, that is totally possible. And, you know, they haven't been convicted, whatever. Like, it is possible that these three guys in Crystal Grubbs' case are innocent. Yeah. But even if that is the case, then I feel like the police need to come forward and say, hey, we investigated it, blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal. Here's why this isn't solved yet. Right. And then we can go on and look at other crazy theories. Yeah, because certainly what none of them have said is that any of those three men are cleared of suspicion. That has never been said. I don't want us to, like, speculate or to, you know, I mean, like, we do speculate because that's what we do. But, or to, like, put guilt on people that have not been proven guilty. But I do think the police department kind of owes the public and owes the Grubbs family something to say we're looking into it. Agreed. This is what we're actively doing right now. And from those videos that you played from Lisa, it does not sound like they are doing that. Like this is it's it feels like a cold case when it potentially could. And I, I agree with you. We don't want to ascribe guilt where we don't know that it is. But yeah, um. If even if we kind of run with the theory that those three men did not do anything terrible that night, that Crystal did, in fact, storm off into the woods. Maybe she and maybe she got killed by Israel Keys. Who knows? knows? But. A. Who in their right goddamn mind storms off angrily into the woods at night and does not and goes far enough to not reappear. I do not believe that Crystal ripped that. I was going to say, I have done that as a teenager. Sure. Have not done that as an adult. And never went far enough to disappear. Certainly not as a 29-year-old mother of two. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Who was looking forward to a call with my children later. Exactly. So even if that, even if the three men are, are totally innocent of any wrongdoing whatsoever, something happened in the woods that night. Mm-hmm. Something I presume would have been heard. And one of them would have been there to hear it. Or all three of them would have been there to hear it. 
So as much as you don't want to ascribe guilt where guilt has not been proven. Hint, hint. You can't strangle yourself to death. Right. And you can't do so and then also strip yourself down in a field. So uh, that's my anger for the day. All right. We love it. We love daily anger dumps because I haven't had enough of this. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not between the two of us. Uh, God. So uh, tell us about next week or two weeks from now. Uh, yeah. So in two weeks. So we are. Where are we going? Oh, my God. I'm sorry. My brain is dead right now, y'all. Next week, we are traveling to the lovely town of Omaha, Nebraska. Oh. We haven't been there in a while. We haven't been to Omaha ever. We've been to Nebraska. We haven't been to Omaha. Oh, well, welcome. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for having us, Omaha. Yeah, that's exciting. I hear you're a lovely, family-friendly town mm-hmm. um, where a terrible, terrible thing happened. And the case we're going to talk about next week, I am shocked, does not have more coverage. This is another one of those, like... If you search the victims, literally nothing will come up on YouTube. Really? If you search the perpetrator, nothing comes up on YouTube. And it is shocking to me. So we are going to talk about an attack and a double murder of two wonderful, beautiful kids Mm -hmm. and a perpetrator who got sentenced to death twice. Interesting. Okay. All right. So that is what that is. It's going to be... Full of twists and turns. And I apologize in advance because the lack of coverage on this case means a lot of missing information in addition to just some genuine details of the case that mean we don't have details of the case. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But I presume you've combed every single thing you possibly could comb to get it. The the few things I have been able to find have been combed. And I just... This is a really interesting story that, again, it hasn't been covered and I really would like to kind of put it out there. Mm. All right, I'm with it. So uh, come back for that, friends, because that sounds like something that we need to hear. Yeah. We need to give attention to. So um, please help us do that. Um, I'm also, you know, usually I have a lot of, like, um, things to say about, like, holding space for, for people and for remembrance. But I also feel like it's been kind of a minute since we have really encouraged people to also uh, get productively mad about things (laughs) Um, and that you have a right to contact authorities wherever you are and to put pressure on situations that need to be pressurized. So just putting that out there. It is your duty as a citizen and your right and i think joy as a citizen to protest and to demand action and to hold your officials accountable yes there goes that word again yeah. i love it you can't blame <laughs> to hold accountable mm-hmm. we're not blaming the police for not investigating what are you doing to hold yourself accountable right 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 anyway <laughs> So with that said, we should probably go. <laughs> All right. So friends, um, I want you to, um, you know, be nice, but also be angry when you'd be. And eat cheese in protest. Yes. Energy cheese. Use it for energy. Energy cheese. It has a lot of protein in it. It does. 
that will keep you going yes. through all of your many, many protests. Good, sustainable energy source. And know that Good. we absolutely love you and have your back so much with your righteous anger. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And if we had any money, we'd bail you out of jail, but we don't. Yeah. But um, we'll send you vibes, jail vibes. Send you vibes. Maybe a, maybe a mid-wretched tumbler. Oh, yeah. We could do that. To keep you <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> yeah, stay hydrated when you're fucking shit up. All right. Bye, friends. <laughs> All right. Bye, friends. See you in two weeks. I went through all of the SVUs up until Stabler leaves. I can't watch <laughs> and then after I quit, that. And then I quit. Yeah, I tap out after that. I can tolerate once Stabler leaves, but once Munch leaves, I want nothing to do with this. Sh- like it, it doesn't even count as SVU anymore. Yeah, yeah, you have to have one of them. And Munch, you know, my oh, heart is with Munch. I know it is, and other parts. <sighs> I mean, maybe. Yeah. yeah, we know the truth. We know the truth. We all know the truth that Munch is my soulmate. Yeah, he is. He is. Just stay up late, talk conspiracy theories. Aw, that'd be so sweet. <laughs>